Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you might reveal yourself to us this morning through your word. We offer this time to you. We pray, come and open our ears to hear you speaking to us. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. In Jesus' name. The people said, Amen. Well, we human beings, we love a good story, don't we? But we, um, we love a happy ending, right? Hands up if you're the sort of person that likes a happy ending to a movie. or Yeah, I'm that sort of person as well. I know there's a lot of sort of arty movies these days that are fairly bleak, that are fairly dark. And, but I like, a, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I, I like a, a happy ending. I, I like it when the hero wins out and gets the girl and the bad guy gets his just desserts. I think we all uh, have that innate desire for justice, don't we? We want to see justice uh, done in our world. We know how things ought to be. And something within us really smiles when, when things turn out uh, that way. Uh, the story of Joseph this morning does have that classic happy ending. Joseph, many of you will know from uh, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. It's a story that occurs in Genesis chapter 45, way back. He's, well, he's one of the, the patriarchs, really, before uh, Moses, about 400 years before Moses. We started the year looking at Exodus. We're going way back, a couple of thousand years before the time of Christ, going back, way back uh, to, uh, to the time of, of Joseph this morning. It's a happy ending that we're going to be hearing about in a second. It's a beautiful scene. Our blameless hero of the story, Joseph himself, is finally rewarded for his faithfulness and for his wisdom. He's exalted to a high position of authority within Egypt and he saves the day. He's reunited with his brothers. But this only comes after some really dark times for Joseph, if you you know the story. Things seem pretty bleak, pretty dire for Joseph at various points in the story. It's actually a great example of the providence of God, of God's God's providence. I want to use Joseph's story today as a stepping off point to, to talk about God's providence, to illustrate God's loving care. God's providence is is his love for you, his care for you, even when you can't see it. In Christian theology, God's divine providence is his intervention in the world. It's God's care for his people generally and specifically for for you. It it means that despite the way that we humans mess things up and we, we turn astray, ultimately God's will will be done. Distinction is sometimes made in theological circles between general providence, that is God generally caring for the world, and then uh, special providence, special times when God breaks into your life and, and provides for you. So miracles would be an example of God's special providence, God breaking into the world. It comes from a Latin word, providentia, a pro meaning, bef- meaning ahead, and for dear meaning, meaning to see, that is to see ahead or foresight. God sees ahead. He has a, he has a sense of sort of a knowledge about the future, that is, he's all-knowing. God is omniscient, and that he is, he's beyond our puny earthly concepts like time. He's not constrained by time as, as we are. Uh, God's providence is a key plank of what we call Reformed theology, that we here in the Uniting Church are, are a part of the great reformer, uh, John Calvin, 
have built a framework known as Calvinism that emphasizes both the fallen state of, of man and our utter dependence upon God's grace and God's ultimate sovereignty, his absolute sovereignty. It talks about how God's plan for the world, and for every soul that he has created, is guided by God's will or by his providence. According to Calvin, uh, the main idea is that free will as we sort of understand it, you know, our, our concept, well, I'm in charge of my life and I'm making decisions about my life, is, is really only based on a very limited, blinkered understanding of, of reality and of God's power and sovereignty. And our delusion that, in fact, God's purposes can somehow be thwarted or, or circumvented. You might sometimes hear this word, uh, predestination. Do you sometimes hear that word, predestination? It's, it's, it's a concept that God is sovereign. He's beyond time, that he has preordained history. That, that whoever will come to God is already known by God. Uh, that, that he knows who will, who will choose Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and who will not. Not that none of this negates your need to to choose Christ today and to go on choosing Christ day after day. You still certainly need to choose to live for Christ, but it simply isn't a statement that God already knows this. He already knows what you've chosen. If you think this is just some hypothetical theory, Paul is very clear about this in in Romans chapter 8. Paul says in Romans 8, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to his image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So a good example of God's providence is the fact that we trust that we have a, a Bible, we have the scriptures in the way that God wants us to have them. A lot of people get very concerned, get very worried about how the, well, the Bible's been changed down throughout history. So how can we really rely on it? Well, if we believe in a God who is sovereign, a God who is good and loving and who sees ahead, then we trust that we have the scriptures in just the form that he wanted us to have them. Certainly doesn't mean that people weren't involved. Yes, men wrote the scriptures and as they were guided by the Spirit. We have to trust that God has had his hand over that process and we have the scriptures in a reliable fashion in a way that, that God wanted us to have here in, in Bondi Junction in 2023. I think when you look back over your life, I think you can see the hand of God, can't you? I know I certainly can, even in my dark times. I remember one time I was in my university and things were looking pretty bleak. I had a pretty crappy car. All my mates had way better cars. Didn't have a girlfriend. It seems as though life was passing. I barely had enough money to even fill up my crappy old Toyota Corolla, four-speed it was. But God was working in those times. I see God's hand at work in humbling me. I'm sure you can see the same thing when you look back over your life. You know what? That hard time wasn't necessarily such a bad thing because God was teaching me something, showing me something, or allowing something else to take place in my life that I'm, I'm very thankful for now. Joseph's story is a good example of that. I'm sure some of you are familiar with the story of Joseph. Why don't you just yell out, who can tell me something about Joseph? 
Yell it out and I'll repeat it for the punters playing along at home. Who can tell me something about Joseph and Joseph's story? Hands up if you've seen the musical. Come on, who's seen Joseph? There's a few. Tell me something about Joseph. Who knows something about Joseph? Yell it out. He was a dream. That's why he was an interpreter of dreams. Exactly right. God blessed him um, with, with dreams that he used uh, for great effect. Yes. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. That's exactly right. He was his father's favorite. Who was his father? Jacob. Jacob. Jacob and son, so the musical goes. Jacob was also known as Israel. Uh, Israel means to, to contend with God or to wrestle with God. He wrestled with God. He had how many sons did Jacob? Twelve sons. They became the forebears of the twelve tribes of Israel. So God calls Abraham in Genesis after the, what we call prehistory creation and Babel and the flood. God calls this fellow Abram. Abram has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob, known as Israel. Jacob has 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And what did he give his son as a sign of his favor? A multicolored coat, yes, right, or a brightly colored tunic. We don't exactly know what it, what it looked like. We do know that it contained many colors. It was a sign of well, his father's favour upon him. Did that uh, work out well for young Joseph? Not at all. He didn't really help himself. His brothers despised his favoured status as the favoured son. Joseph didn't really help himself by having these dreams and interpreting these dreams whereby his brothers would one day bow down to him. His brothers didn't take kindly to it and they indeed sold him into slavery. Initially, by the way, they were just going to kill him. Brothers plan to kill young Joseph, just do away with him, cold-blooded murder. A Reuben, the one brother with a bit of a conscience, spoke up and spared him. So they, they opted for plan B, which is to throw him in a ditch somewhere, and that way they wouldn't physically, literally have any blood on their hands. But then an even better option came their way. A travelling caravan came past on the horizon, and they decided to sell their brother, a much more profitable way of doing away with their brother. They sold him into slavery, they put some, uh, some blood on his multicolored tunic, some animal blood, presented it to his heartbroken father and said, Joseph must have been eaten by some wild animal. So the old man thinks that his favorite son is now dead. He's been sold into slavery and, and taken down to Egypt. Does anyone know uh, how things would get any worse? What happens to him down in Egypt? He gets imprisoned for a crime that he didn't commit. He gets falsely accused of rape uh, by his master's wife. So not only is he despised by his brothers, sold into slavery, he's got really no chance of ever seeing his family ever again at this point, really. So he's a slave in a foreign land, and then he finds himself in jail for a crime that he didn't commit unjustly. Things couldn't get much lower, could they? Can you imagine being Joseph at this point? Be, be honest. If that was you, how would, how would you feel? Would you continue to, to trust God in that situation? Where I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how I, I would go in that situation. In my life has never been tested to such extent. I've grown up in this land of plenty. I mean, I've never known what it is to be sold into slavery. I've never known what it is to be oppressed by a foreign people. Certainly never known what it is, what it's like to be falsely accused of 
something as serious as rape and then be doing jail time for it in a dungeon. Joseph must have been tempted to, to give up on his, on his faith. This is why Israel, the Jewish people, have always favoured Joseph and, in fact, followers of Jesus. We've always loved this story of Joseph because the Jewish people in particular, when they look back over their, their rough history, when they look at Joseph and they read his story, they, they would nod knowingly, yes, I, I know what that's like. The Jewish people have suffered terribly from one regime after another down throughout their history. So they, they resonated with Joseph's story. And indeed, uh, not just Joseph's harsh treatment, but also the way in which God worked through it despite it all. You see, Joseph's troubles actually end up becoming Joseph's testimony. Joseph's troubles turn into Joseph's testimony. The Israeli nation, the Jewish people, and indeed the Christian people look to this story as, as, a, as a story about how God can work, how God is present, how suffering can, in fact, turn out for glory. The story goes that, you know the story, he's in jail with a couple of uh, cupbearer cup bear and a baker, and the, I think it's the, is it the cupbearer or the baker eventually finds his way back into Pharaoh's court. Is it the baker or the cupbearer? Is the cupbearer finds his way back into Pharaoh's court. The king, the Pharaoh, is troubled by dreams. He says, I knew a bloke back in jail who could interpret dreams. So eventually the Pharaoh calls for Joseph. He's so impressed with Joseph, he's able to successfully interpret the king's dream that, cut a long story short, Joseph actually ends up being prime minister. Pharaoh puts him as second in charge over all of the country. God uses Joseph mightily. He actually ends up sparing that nation, indeed the entire region, from a, an incredibly destructive famine. Uh, Joseph uh, has the foresight, the wisdom, the knowledge to store up grain as prime minister during the good years that carries the nation through, saves many, many lives during a terrible famine. God used this long and winding road to somehow bring Joseph into a position of great authority in Egypt that saved many lives. This famine gripped not only Egypt but the surrounding nations. Old man Jacob and his remaining 11 sons are also struggling with famine. They find out for some reason Egypt still has grain, so they, he sends the boys down to Egypt to purchase some food, to purchase some grain. And that is where we, we pick up the story, of course, the, the 12 sons, the 11 remaining brothers, uh, eventually find their way before the prime minister, their long-lost brother Joseph. They don't recognise him and he in fact strings them along for a little bit, and this is where we pick up the story. So, if you open up the text, you might—I think you might have it on screen. This is uh, Genesis uh, chapter 45, when Joseph comes clean before his brothers. So, remember, it's been years. They've sold him into slavery, given him up for dead. They don't recognise him, but Joseph recognises him, and here's what happens. Then Joseph could no longer control himself, and before all his attendants, he cried out, "Have everyone leave my presence!" There was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. 
when they had done so. He said, I, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me night father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, Hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household, all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves... So And so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. So Joseph is reconciled with his brothers who repent and who he forgives. Pretty serious act of forgiveness, wouldn't you agree? He's able to invite his entire family down to Egypt where they settle down in the best part of the land in Egypt, by the way. He's reunited with his father. He's able to provide for his family during, these, during this terrible famine that is, about to, that is still underway for another five years. But after years of unjust suffering, Joseph is, is rewarded. After this terrible enmity between himself and his brothers, we see a marvellous reunion. People who had been cruel are forgiven. People who had been antagonistic to one another now embrace one another and weep. And the father whose heart had been broken those years ago has his family back together finally at once. He's able to see his family reunited. The events that lead up to this happy ending were entirely guided by God. Joseph is very explicit about that. He's quite clear about that. Five times in the reading we just heard, Joseph makes that point. God sent me here. Not you who sent me here, but God, verse 8. God made me father to Pharaoh in Egypt. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Joseph goes on in chapter 50 to say it even more explicitly. In chapter 50, verse 20, he says this. He says, you in, he says this to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The invisible providential hand of God was in charge at all times. Think of Joseph sitting in that dungeon far from home, hated by his brothers. Think how he must have felt hopeless at times. Think how he had no right to have any hope that he would ever see his family again. All hope seemed lost, but through it all, God was in charge. Think of little children, perhaps, on your way to holidays. When are we going to get there? How much longer is it going to be? 
Children have no idea of how far it is when they're on their way to Foster Tongue Curry or to Coffs Harbour or to Eden, wherever it is you went on family holidays. They have no way of, they can't, they can't conceptualise what's around the corner, can they? You in the driver's seat, you as the adult, you know roughly how far there is to go, but children, children don't have that luxury. That's why they cry out, when are we going to get there? But aren't we all, in fact, a little bit like those children? Aren't we even as adults a little bit like children at times? We have no concept of what's around the corner. We can't possibly see how long it will be until we are saved, until we achieve reconciliation, until we manage to grasp hold of whatever it is we think is going to make us happy. But thankfully, God is in the driver's seat. Amen? God used Joseph and this impossibly meandering story to, to bring about a happy ending, not just for his immediate family, but in fact, they settle in the land, become a great nation because of Joseph's act. They become a great nation, and eventually the greatest hero of the Israelite story, Moses, comes and saves his people, liberates his people, and they settle in the promised land. And eventually, one and a half thousand years later, God's ultimate plan for salvation enters the world, his son, Jesus Christ. And think of Jesus' story too. Think of the meandering story that Jesus had. Son of a carpenter. Didn't have any army backing him up. Never wrote a book. Had no place to lay his head. Born in a stable. Buried in a borrowed tomb. But God used the seemingly darkest moment on Good Friday when all had been lost, when all seemed lost, when the great adventure seemed over, when death seemingly had the last say, God said, aha, no you don't. God's providence, his hand was even present in that moment. God's providential hand overcame death. He's defeated death. Even in the darkest of moments, God said, I will have the last say. I will have the last laugh. Let me leave you with a question. What is it in your life that you just can't see a solution to? Maybe you just can't see around the next corner. Lord, why, why are you doing this? Why am I here? What, what's going on? If that's, if that's you, and I think it's all of us to some extent, here as a church family, we don't really know what God's got in charge as a church family. It's a new day. In Australia in 2023, what would he have us do? Where would you have us go, Lord? Show yourself to us. Despite all the setbacks, can I encourage you to put your life in God's hands, knowing that he's in the driver's seat. Make sure that you pass the steering wheel to him. Surrender your life and say, Lord, I am yours, despite all the twists and turns of life, even in the dark times, even in the difficult times, even in the times when I can't see how or why you're at work. I trust you. I place my life in your hands and hold on for an unbelievable ride. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might learn from Joseph's story. Very few of us have ever felt that sort of betrayal. Few of us have ever been in a foreign jail, Father, yet that was Joseph's story. Yet through it all... You're in control. You used him in ways that he could never conceive of to ultimately bring about the salvation of the world through your son, Jesus of Nazareth. Thank you, Father, 
that your hand was at work through it all, that you saw around corners deep into the future. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that even death has been defeated. Thank you, Father, the grave holds no sting for those of us that have committed our life into your hands, into your care through faith in Jesus. May we surrender afresh this week, trusting in your providence, trusting in your goodness, trusting in your care, trusting in your love, trusting that you will work things out for the good of those who love you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.